Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. From a cat-themed coffee house to Caribbean comfort food, we're on a trek across the state to find some great places to eat that also have backstories just as interesting as their food. And we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. There are plenty of places to eat and drink across the state, and here in eastern Connecticut, we also have some great hidden gems. So I decided to take a little journey across eastern Connecticut from its southwest corner to the northeast and pick just two places to tell their stories. Of course, there are many others out there, and I leave you to explore those as well. We start our trek in the picturesque town of East Haddam at a very colourful coffee shop. Joining us on Connecticut East is Mark Thede of Two Razzling Cats in East Haddam. We're going to be talking to you a little bit more in a moment, Mark. And we're also joined as well by... Maureen Gillis. And Bernie Gillis. Who are two of your customers, Mark. My favorite customers. So, Mark, explain to us. We are sat in your lovely cat-themed cafe. Next year, 2023, is 10 years. Can you believe 10 years has gone by already? No, no. It's very, very difficult. You know, especially with COVID being like two of them, time has really passed very quickly. We've had a very fabulous experience here and I'm looking forward to the next 10. What made you decide after working in the pharmaceutical industry for so many years, very different industry, to then try your hand at this there was obviously something going on in your mind when you decided to make that jump so so actually when I got out of graduate school I I thought I'd do it for about 15 years and at 15 years I had three young kids but I also was working for a biotech company that uh, sent me out to Seattle on a bi-weekly basis and uh, I just fell in love with the coffee culture. And I, I first thought maybe I'll just, when I get done, maybe we'll strike it rich with the, with the company that didn't happen. But I thought, well, I, I would like to perhaps do something in coffee at some point. And that sort of got my wheels turning and all. I, I didn't really want to do a franchise. I wanted to do something on my own. It is an amazing place. I've stepped in here for the very first time. It's in the beautiful town of East Haddam, which is just a gorgeous place anyway to come and visit. The cat theme, obviously, you love cats. Tell us a little bit about the history of the cats. Yeah, so it goes back to as, as something like this. In 2009, I, was, uh, I had two uh, kittens delivered to me by my daughter, and I was making some homemade beer, and I wanted to put a fake brewery name on the beer bottle. And uh, I was looking down, talking to my nephew, who was up in Ithaca, New York, making his own beer. And I said, hey, how about Tourass and Cat Brewery? And he said, that's great. So I, made, I took a picture, made a label, and never made any more beer. And then that was 2009, and then I left Pfizer in 2012. And in, in, in the time that I was leaving there in 2011, I said, I'm going to use that two wrestling cats name so that my two co-founders are Bruno and Larry, my two cats. It's a very colorful cafe, I mean, outside and in. 
was that a choice? I mean, you seem, I've met you for the first time, but I get the impression you're probably quite a colourful character yourself. Well, I, I, yeah, colour was always going to be the case, where I think the thing that we needed to do was stand out here in, in East Haddam, perfect corner for us to do it and I will have to say that the blue and green motif that's on there now is going to be matched with a purple yellow motif when I open up the the new Rasslin Cat Lounge which will be a, a residence for about five, six felines that people can come in and see and it will be the front of the building here so it's a new business that's going to be included in two Rasslin Cats. So we've got a little bit of an exclusive then you're telling us about this. What made you decide that you wanted to do that as well? Because, you know, that's an, an extra thing clearly for you. So it's cl- clear, you know, I think the one thing that I've learned, being a scientist, you, you go through things and things things happen and you learn from them. You can say that I'm going to stay on course and, and fail terribly, or you can adjust. So during my nine years that I've been here, the one thing that people want, wanted when they walked in the doors, they say, where are the cats? And you say, well, the health department doesn't allow me to have cats here. But last year and, and also in September, I lost my son and my daughter who worked here. And we decided, and I decided that I needed to, I wanted to do something. They moved on to other things and I um, wanted to do something. I decided that I would look into the health department's approval of a, a sealed off cat, uh, cat lounge. And so it was just the thing to do because that's what my customers have been asking for. Will it also be a case of, will those cats be available for adoption or are they just there to be petted and to be loved? They're there to be petted and be loved. They, it's, it will not be an adoption center. I don't, don't really want to run an adoption center. I want to run a center that will promote the use of cats as support animals. So it will be sort of a therapy room, and it will be filled with stuff that you can play with the cats with and comfy furniture that you can just sort of sit back. And I, I look forward to establishing it with the plan that people would come in here and just sort of like find it peaceful. Well, it certainly sounds amazing. We're going to turn to our two so like guests here as well. You've obviously been coming here for a while, both of you, drinking the coffee. You know Mark. Tell us a little bit more about what got you interested, you know, when Mark opened up this place. Well, beside the, you know, the fascinating-looking building, and it just draws people in, the wonderful thing about Mark is that he remembers everybody's name that comes in here. He always introduces himself, and then you can come in months later, and he'll say, Hi, Maureen. How are you? You know, he'll, he remembers everybody. He also gives a lot back to the community, which is really wonderful. When we had COVID, I do a lot for the senior center here in town. And Thursdays, Hartford doesn't provide meals, and we didn't have community meals anymore, In the, so we started doing brown bag lunches. The head of the senior center looked to Mark and said, Mark, could you put together the brown bag lunches on Tuesdays and Thursdays you know, for the seniors, which they arranged to do? And I would pick them up every Thursday and Tuesday and bring them over. So we, Bernie and I both do Meals on Wheels on Wednesdays and Thursdays, and it's just, just everything like that. I mean, they're just here, here for the community. They support with their signs, equity, empathy, truth, justice in the American way. This is to Mr. Yeah, Superman. And it's the only way. It's really, that's what I found really important and, and enticing about this place is that Mark is just supports quality and justice and and everything. And plus, all the artwork is great. People were so disappointed in COVID because they couldn't come back here because it was closed off and they wanted to see all the beautiful things. And the best thing here, if you look over there, 
Bruno and Larry's um, furball throw up is. <laughs> I even have two of their hairballs uh, hair framed, balls. or of uh, each of them, Bruno and Larry. There, that's they live all forever. that's left of Bruno and, and Larry. And on the mantle, they also exist on the mantle here. <laughs> they passed in just before COVID in February 2020. But he has two new cats now. Yes. Of course, because obviously you cannot have a cat no, theme without cannot. without cats. I, I'm going to ask you, it seems an obvious question, and, and what Maureen's just said about everything that you do, how important is it for you to do all of these things for the community? I mean, you know, you are a business person. You are, of course, part of the community. There's, that's a given. But at the end of the day, not all businesses are able to do these things. So how and why was it so important to you? Well, I, I think I go back to sort of how I was brought up, my, my parents and all, and what, what I think we thought was was important and and I guess I, I I sum up like this that I guess deep down inside I'm not a capitalist. I actually utilize this to essentially draw an income in or revenues so that I can support the community. I can support myself. I have no concerns about supporting myself. But I, I, I try to help whoever is, uh, comes through the door and needs something. And there are a lot of different organizations in town. You know, for, for a year, I made uh, 40 sandwiches for the food bank. Right when COVID started, we did, I did, I made 40 sandwiches dropped off at the food bank every week. And I don't submit any kind of receipt that I did this thing or anything I dropped. I just feel that, I feel that that's what I'm here for. This is really a purpose. I, I ended up here because something wanted me to be here and to do something good. And Bernie, let's turn to you. You've been sat there very patiently listening. You've obviously got your own stories to tell as well. Tell us a little bit about, you know, your experiences here and, and Mark as well. Maureen, your wife has given us, a, you know, her accounts. So what about yourself? I'd have to agree with most of what Maureen said, inviting atmosphere and the, the fact that everybody's so welcome here. It's a comfortable place. you casual and the food is excellent my first story would be when i first met mark at planning and zoning he came to us for his application and well that got people rolled their eyes at the the fact that he was opening a coffee shot with uh, two (laughs) wrestling cats but uh some people didn't think that this was going to work jumped through all the hoops and application went through and he opened and it was an instant success people loved it in town and uh it's just been a pleasure to have him in town. Do you think you've become so like a bit iconic? Because, you know, in this part of Connecticut, there are a lot of iconic places here, you know, in Haddam, in East Haddam. As I drove into the car lot, it's such a recognisable sort of place. Do you consider yourself sort of iconic for the area? I want to say I think Two Wrestling Cats is iconic for the area, yeah. I, I think that, that the cust- my customers actually, so I just want to say that some people will come in and ask me, who's the crazy cat guy, you know, because I got all this stuff. But these are actually things that my customers have brought in here. So, so it's really been a community collective. And I will have to say that my goal was to make it stand out. My goal was to be true to myself and I think that in general, people look at it. They they know we're two wrestling cats. Is at times when I when I mention that that's what I you know what I own and all. So I think that it's become recognized as as somewhat of an iconic uh, location. And I think with the bringing in the cat lounge and putting on purple on the front, we're just going to take it to the next step. And if if I could add one last thing, the one thing that was developed in the last two years since COVID was that we actually are, are an archaeological site. 
So I had a customer uh, find a, a tool in the backyard near the fountain in May of 2020 while he and his girlfriend were just sitting there. Fortunately, he was doing digs in upper state New York and recognized its value and then came back that summer and did a bunch of digs. Well, friends of the state archaeologists have come here three times. They've been here seven days total, and they've collected 513 artifacts in the back, just in the backyard here. And it has been deemed the two wrestling cat site. So, and it's Paleo Indian, which is ten, twelve thousand years ago. They were sitting in the backyard gathering and all, just like sort of what we do today. So, this is actually going to get, be getting more and more uh, coverage as the year. They're going to be coming back in the spring. But I just want to say that think about really when when you asked me earlier about what you know, about, and when I mentioned my purpose, I, I just can't I can't quite figure out why it is that I ended up here. And all but this archaeological site also is all, is all part of that. Well, they're lucky that uh, you're here and that actually it's been preserved and wasn't dug up then, aren't they? Yeah, so, yeah, uh, so yeah. Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Maureen and Bernie. Thanks for joining us as well as two of, of Mark's obviously very loyal customers. Continue success and, uh, and we look forward to obviously seeing the, the Cat Lounge once it's open. Thanks for joining very us good. on Connecticut Thank you very much, Brian, for taking the time to come out here and, and talking to us about this stuff. If you want to visit Two Razzling Cats or find out more about them, visit their website at tworazzlingcats.com. We head across the state now and northeast to the quiet corner to a very different food experience to a new restaurant in the town of Putnam, owned by husband and wife team Lizzie and Norman Henry, serving Caribbean food. I began by asking Lizzie about her background and why she decided to get into the restaurant business. So the restaurant industry wasn't something that was kind of like, oh, I'm going to go into the restaurant industry and start a restaurant. But I guess it falls into the realm of serving people. I was a nurse by profession, and I delivered a lot of babies. <laughs> but the pandemic kind of changed a lot of things. When when they talk about burnout in healthcare, it's it's a true thing. And one of the biggest components for me is I can take care of a lot of people, I can serve a lot of people, and I'm bringing a lot of smiles to a lot of families, but my family themselves are struggling. But one of the biggest components is the financial aspect of it. You can't just come home and kind of cater to your family the way you want to without having the financial aspects of it. So I went to talk to my husband, which he's more kind of like, I was more like corporate going to a job, punching in, punching out. He's more like, no, I like to see my money. I like to own my things. Let's start a business. And and I'm like, okay, hesitantly. But I I guess I'm good at doing paperwork from what he says. So here we are. (laughs) We're going to get back to you in just a second. We're going to bring your husband, uh, Norman, in. So Norman, tell us a little bit about your background because both of your businesses are very young, still Mm -hmm. doing very well, which of course is good news, especially in this COVID, post-COVID climate. What were you doing before you started your business? Because it's not the restaurant (coughs) business, although of course both of you are connected to this. Exactly. So before the bounce house business, I cut hair. I've been a barber for in a in a barber shop for about eight years, but I've been cutting hair for about sixteen years altogether. I started very young, building up a clientele in North Providence. I had a clientele about a hundred and fifty people, and then in Connecticut about thirty five people. So I thought with taking my clientele, I can open a bigger business and not have to put money in the hands of someone else and start my own business. I went to school for business management, marketing, and entrepreneurship. So. Starting my own business is what I've always wanted to do anyways. And we have five kids already. So we rent 
bounce houses every year to begin with. So and this is the new business. So just so that we can explain yep. to the listeners here. So you went from being a very successful barber. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> then you went into the bouncy castle yep. inflatables, which is a great thing. And tell us about that, because that is interesting, because even though it was you started it at sort of the height of COVID. Oh, yes. It took off. Um, forgive oh, yes. the pun. Absolutely. <laughs> So tell us a little bit more about about that. Why why that particular business? Because that's a t- that's another tough business, surely. It's a business that's predominantly outside ran. So we thought it would be very very profitable to do a business that can cater to parties and to individual people privately. We rent probably about two to three bounce houses a year for our kids for the birthdays. And I was like, we know how much we spend on the rentals. So during COVID, with a little bit of money, I bought my first couple units and then rented those out a few times, bought another one, rented that out a few times. And now our inventory is up to eight units right now. And we did a lot of events last year. We did fundraisers, nonprofit events, and that just built up our name. And when my when COVID really started to strike and they were having her come in for 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hour weeks, I was like, why don't we do something that could potentially benefit all of us? We can have the kids come here like it's a job where we can literally keep home. And we saw this place and we're like, it's in great location. I grew up in Putnam, so a lot of people already know me. And with cutting hair, my clients, my uh, haircut clients and my inflatable clients, you know, that's two, three hundred people right there. Bring them all over here. Ten percent of them eat here and then tell someone, just like the bounce house business, it'll pick up. And we just try to use all the businesses to help each individual business build up. Now, why the food business? Because it is notoriously oh, yes. hard to get into. I mean, for every sort of like two or three food businesses that open, probably <clears throat> half of them fail or close. That isn't the situation with you guys, which no, is sir. which is good. Yes, <laughs> and you obviously offer a great sort of type of food. It's it's Caribbean food. Mm-hmm. But why food? Um, because we cook food every day. We have a big family, so cooking big meals is something that we have to do. It's not something we even want to do every day, but we have to do it. So, but we enjoy doing it. So it's like when we're in the kitchen, we're at home, and that feeling of not having to punch in and work for someone else it's like being at home everyone eats it's not something that you know you can live without so it's like when we took our food we have no competition for miles for with our type of a food and with our restaurant we bring a lot of i want to say optional i guess diversity or something when you come in here you can actually try our food out before, before you, you buy, buy it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's important. As a sampler. <laughs> that's yeah. kind of different. <laughs> Not many restaurants outside of, you know, an all-you-can-eat or something will actually let, let you go in, see the food, sample the food, and try it before you go. Under 10 people have come into here and actually left with nothing. Because, Which is not unsurprising because, yeah, so you know, you everybody here, likes a freebie. Exactly. And so when you come in here, you can taste it and know you're going to enjoy the food when you leave or if you would like to stay. And it is in a great location Absolutely. here in Putnam. You've got lots of parking, which is always great for restaurants as well, and lots of foot traffic as well, because you've got good sidewalks, Absolutely. and that always helps, <laughs> that which, is, which is not always uh, something. Let me get back to, to Lizzie. Again, you know, I, I've asked Norman, you know, why food? But why food for you? I mean, again, I suppose that is the answer going to be fairly similar, you know, between you, you cook. But, I mean, it's still a hard thing to do, even with limited sort of opening hours. There's probably still a lot of prep and all the back behind 
behind the scenes stuff that people don't get to see? I think in for me, I do it more for like my own cultural roots. I am a first generation Latina here. My mom lives back in Dominican Republic, although my dad is Puerto Rican, but there's there's still some they didn't go to college, so I'm first generation in a lot of ways. So it, to me, there was a lot of pressure academically to be successful, but I also learned a lot of things along the way from my mom. So I feel like not having her here and just cooking for my own kids makes me feel a little closer to her. So I think that's why I did it more so, because growing up, I really didn't have her during like these pivotal times as my kids are during these times. So it mattered to me more for me to be home with them. So like he said, well, we have to cook anyways. So that's one of the first things I came up already. I can't, I'm burned out from the job that I'm doing. It only seems that this is the only qualification that I can do outside of my natural skills, which is cooking and cooking for my children. So why not turn it into something that is like profitable while it gives me the time to kind of like navigate through our home situation? Because ultimately, like, yes, working is important to me, but our family is just as important. It's good to have that perspective because so often you don't hear that from people, yet of course they do have families. And of course you're both still very young with yes. a young family. You've got many, many years ahead of you. Yes. So tell us a little bit about the restaurant. So we're sat here today. It's a, it's a Wednesday and it's, it's closed today because of course everybody needs a bit of a day off. <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about the food. You know, you said earlier, both of you, that it is sort of Caribbean food. Yes. So, you know, just talk us through a little bit of some of the, the specialties that people oh. can get. And having eaten a fair amount of Caribbean food in my life it is what I would call great comfort food as well so just talk to us a little bit about it whet our appetite do white rice yellow rice with pigeon peas we do a mixed vegetable whether it's a medley or broccoli cauliflower our five cheese baked mac which is a hit for a lot of people um, we put extra spices in it so it's not just your typical mac and cheese like it's it's really really flavored just started a barbecue jerk chicken it's not spicy it's like a sweet spicy but it's absolutely delicious and we always leave a sampler so that give people samples like i said of all of our foods you can try it a stew chicken which has about 10 different vegetables in our broth we have a pretty kick curry chicken have our sweet spare ribs and our seven and a half hour pulled pork, which is a fan favorite. Everyone that comes in here says it's one of the best that they've had. We, again, use a lot of vegetables, and we start that at 5 o'clock in the morning. We pull that out around 1230. There's something there for everybody. Oh, yes. I mean, even vegetarians. I mean, yep. because We have vegetables. Like I said, we have our beans for our rice. We have both of our rices. We have a mixed uh, vegetable, whether a medley or broccoli cauliflower. So there is, like I said, there is a variety of stuff for everyone's palate. And Lizzie, you were saying, you know, some of this comes obviously from your heritage, yes. uh, your Latina heritage. So the, the recipes, are they from the family? And we don't, want, we don't want to give away secrets too much, but I'm guessing these are some good old family no, some recipes. Of them, some of, it wasn't more, it wasn't like my mom was like, oh, come here into the kitchen and I'm going to help you cook. It was more like observational, like, oh, observational with sight and by taste. <laughs> so I would try the food. Mm, that seems good. I would say that I'm not quite like up there with my grandmother just yet. I don't think anyone's ever up with their <laughs> oh, grandmother. No, no, no. It doesn't matter. I'm, what... I'm, I'm slowly getting there, yeah. but yeah, but that's who I think about every time I cook. I and I kind of look at it as a form of like meditation when I find that I'm stressed. I find myself cooking all the time, so it's just like one of those things. And like a lot of them is recipes that I got from my mom. A lot of it is recipes that I've had from my grandmother and my aunts, and just like different variations. 
and I try everything as I go. So by the end of once the meal is completed, I'm already full because I've tried it like 10, 15 times. But to me, as if it doesn't taste well the first time, I'd rather just throw it out and start all over again. So I'd rather just get it right the first time. Now, we said, you know, this particular business is still very young. Yes. It's only been open uh, so many months uh, since late last year. What sort of feedback are you getting from people already? Not saying cocky or anything, but we do let good. our yeah we do let our Google and Facebook reviews like show out. Um, we try as best as we can to make you have a happy experience when you're here. Um, our food, like I said, is is up to par with most people, and they they from what we've gotten back for our and feedback, and they, they enjoy it. Good experience. We're, we're transparent with oh, that absolutely. as well. Yep. Um, if, if they don't have a, um, a good experience, like I let everyone know, if you guys would like to leave a review, you can, whether it's good or bad, it's only going to help us. Yeah. Right now we're just trying to, trying to build our little name and just feed as many people as we can. Well, give it a final plug because we're at the end of the interview. So the name of the restaurant is? Henry's Mamacita. And it's at? 347 Kennedy Drive, Putnam, Connecticut. And is there a website? Um, we're, we're located on Facebook. Ah. That's where you can find us, or on Google. Lizzie and Norman Henry, it's been great talking to you. Continued success not only with the restaurant, thank but you. obviously with the inflatable business as well. And thank you for that. being on the podcast. <laughs> thank you. And you can find out more about Lizzie and Norman's restaurant on their Facebook page, Henry's Mamacita. And for their inflatables business, search for Henry's Inflatables. Warmer weather is here and it's time to give your plants some health care. From mulching to aeration to growth regulator, remedial and preventative treatments against fungus as well as insects like the spotted lanternfly and gypsy moth. Don't be reactive, be proactive and keep your trees and plants in tip-top condition to avoid long-term health problems. Find more details about plant health care services. Call 860-234-4041 or visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the region recently. Governor Lamont recently toured State Pier in New London to see progress being made in redeveloping it for the offshore wind industry. And later, during a board members meeting of the Connecticut Port Authority, the agency responsible for State Pier, Chairman David Kouros explained that despite some $700,000 of savings, the cost of the project was going up again. We have completed the negotiation. Our number is $6.8 million but we don't yet have the paperwork or the funding in place. And so it is not yet before you. And then we are still negotiating uh, some acceleration so that we can deliver the facility closer to our target date for in-service activity by our private partners and the revenue flow and the job creation that comes along with that. State Pier originally started out at $93 million and has steadily increased its cost to a current figure of $235 million due to design changes, permit delays and facilitating a local ferry business. The additional costs that were announced, some which are still being negotiated by the Port Authority, could see the project cost rise to almost $250 million. 48 towns in Connecticut have until the end of the month to decide whether to stay with the state's quasi-public materials innovation and recovery authority, or MIRA, or find another way to get rid of their trash. The decision is having to be made as MIRA's South Meadows trash-burning power plant that serves the Hartford area is being forced to close through age and changes in attitude to energy production. Tom Kirk is the president and CEO of MIRA and says over the last 10 years the energy industry has changed. Most of our facilities had 30-year 
contracts to sell electric energy to our local utilities for as much as 20 cents per kilowatt. Well, today, that same energy sells for about three cents a kilowatt. That money, that missing revenue is not available to renovate the facility. Myra still has three other trash to energy plants in the state, but local towns will need to decide whether to sign a five-year deal with Myra, which could mean they may face higher trash costs or opt to use a private service instead. Energy company Eversource has launched a new tree scorecards initiative to help educate towns and the public on how many miles of tree trimming they will be doing in 2022 and how trees affect the electricity supply. Sean Redding is the manager of vegetation management at Eversource and says the new scorecards help show the devastation trees cause on the electricity supply. Evaluating them to determine if they are hazardous, meaning they have some sort of disease, defect, or structural problem that makes them more likely to fail day to day and during storms. And then we work with the town and the private property owner, the owner of that tree, to get that tree removed before it fails. This year, Eversource is spending $72 million on tree services and removal and will be trimming trees along 4,000 miles of overhead electric lines across the state. That's all from this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East This Week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East This Week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Thank you for listening.